You know, Moses, when God told him to go to Egypt, confront Pharaoh. Now, the Israelites had been in bondage 400 years. Slaves. And Moses, you know, was been on the backside of the desert 40 years. And, and God appeared to him in a burning bush and said, go down there and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. You know what Moses said? <laughs> who am I going to tell sent? Who am I, who am I going to tell him sent me? Here I'm going to Pharaoh and who, who am I going to say I'm representing? He said, you go tell him that the great I am. He said, Moses, I am that I am. You tell him the great I am said to let my people go. Don't you love that? There could be no other name for God. You can't call him I was because there's never a time that he hasn't been. You can't call him I will be for he's eternal without beginning and without any. The only name you could give God is I am. Now that ought to encourage you. It ought to encourage you. He's the I am. Jesus all through the gospel of John said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Man, he, Jesus said, the I am has come and lived among you. And praise his holy name. Thank you very much, choir. I tell you, Ed, you can sing that anytime you all want to. I want you to know that. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings. I'm just going to read uh, a couple of verses here about Elisha. And it's going to inspire you because he was an awesome man of God. In 1 Kings, I'm, I'm preaching to you this morning about living in the now. Now, I want you to think about those words, living in the now, living in this moment, living in this present. And Elisha is a mighty man of God who lived in the now. And so we see that God spoke to Elijah, stay with me, God spoke to Elijah and said he gave him three things to do, was to appoint somebody as king and to do one other thing and said, then you go anoint Elisha. Put your mantle on Elisha as the prophet who's going to follow you. And so Elijah went, anointed the king, and then he goes and he finds Elisha to anoint him as the prophet that's going to succeed him. And so we read here in verse 19, so he departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 oaks of yoke of oxen before him, and he was the 12. So obviously, you know, there were two oxen, and they were plowing, and then there were two more behind. And in fact, there were 12, and Elisha was plowing with the last two oxen in the line of 12. And said he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was the 12th. Then Elijah passed by and threw his mantle on him. There was a mantle that Elijah had as the prophet of God. And so he goes by Elisha. Now, here he is out in the field plowing, and he throws his mantle on him. And Elisha knew exactly who Elijah was. And he knew exactly what that meant, that God had just set him apart to be the prophet, to follow Elijah, and I want you to notice, 
how he responded. Then Elijah passed by, verse 19, and threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please. Now he knew that his life had just been radically changed. He wasn't going to be behind no oxen anymore. He was fixing to start a new journey like he had never seen in his life. So he runs and catches Elijah and says, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And Elijah said, go back again. What have I done to you? You go back and you do what you have to do. Now I want you to look what happened. This is a tremendous message. It's really a picture in many ways of what happens when a person gets saved. It says in verse 20, so Elisha turned back. Doesn't say so, but I know he went and kissed his father goodbye. He kissed his mother goodbye. So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen. You know those two oxen he'd been plowing? He took them and he slaughtered them. To offer as a sacrifice to God. So he killed the two oxen that he had been plowing with. And then it goes on and says uh, that he killed the two oxen and slaughtered them, boiled their flesh. Now, just at this, using the oxen's equipment, you know what he did? Not only did he kill the two oxen that he was plowing with, but you know, he broke up his plow and made it into firewood. And he took the yoke off the oxen and made it into firewood. He burned up his plow. And he burned up his, the yoke and used it as a fire to roast the oxen. And then, guess what? He, the Bible says, uh, uh, and he, he left. And so Elisha turned back, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, balled their flesh with the oxen's equipment, Gave it to the people, and they ate. So he threw a party. He said, they said, well, you, you're not going to farm anymore? You just killed your two oxes. No, I'm, I'm not a farmer anymore. You, you mean you're not going to be out in the field? He said, no, I won't be back in the field anymore. Well, but you know, you might come back. Why in the world did you burn up your plow? Why in the world did you burn up the yoke? I mean, come on. Elisha, you may not last. You know what Elisha was saying? There's not going to be any turning back. I'm not turning back. I'm burning every bridge that would enable me to come back. And he said here, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, show us how we can live in the now and be everything that you want us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, what does it mean to live in the now? It means that you're not living in the past and you're not living in the future, but you're living right now. This present moment, that's where you are. This present hour, this present day, this, this, this is your life. And that is so significant and so important because you cannot know Jesus and follow Jesus and be all that Jesus wants you to be if you live in the past. You can't do that. You see, the past is gone. It is gone. You can't, do, you can't relive it. It's over. Now, 
If you have sinned, you can come to God through faith in Jesus, receive his shed blood, his sacrifice. You can be forgiven for the past, but you can't change it. And you see, the problem is, what if Elijah had started to follow, uh, uh, what if Elisha had started to follow Elijah, but he kept looking back over his shoulder? Because by the way, he had a good past. He lived in a place called uh, Abel Maloth, which means the meadow of dancing. Now that would be a nice place to live. He lived the meadow of dancing. He was from a wealthy family. Hey, most people had one yoke of oxen. His family had 12 yoke of oxen. He, he was a wealthy man. It would be his farm. But you know what? What if he kept looking back over his shoulder? Boy, I sure miss the mama. I sure miss daddy. And I, I sure miss the plowing. I, I miss the crop. And boy, I loved where I lived. Man, it was a great place to live. It was a great place. What if he'd always been looking over his shoulder? He'd have never got anywhere. He would have missed the great blessing that God had for him. Now listen, let me say this to you. God doesn't want you to live in the past. He doesn't want you to rehearse the pain that you've been through. He don't, doesn't want you to rehearse the disappointment that you've been through. He doesn't want you to rehearse the regrets that you've had. No, God, God is the God of the now. I remember over in uh, Corinthians, he said, today is the accepted time. Now, N-O-W, now is the day of salvation. And, and I don't know where you are, but I have, over these 57 years in the ministry, I've dealt with person after person that they're shackled and chained to their past. And you can't live in the now. You, you may be shackled with guilt and shame. The forgiveness of God is real. He said, your sins and iniquities, I will remember you no more. God's forgiveness is real. I, I mean, you, you know the good thing about when a person comes to Christ and Christ comes to live in them? You see, you, you close the chapter on your past. And by the way, we had somebody baptized this morning. You know what baptism is a picture of? When a person is laid beneath the water, their old life in Adam is buried in a grave, a watery grave, covered up and gone forever. And then they come out of the water and they're a new creation in Christ and they have a new beginning. Do you know one of the great verses that ought to encourage you not to live in the past? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. Elijah refused to live in the past. His was a good one. But he knew that he could never be the servant of God, the prophet of God, if he didn't look, leave it all learned it all behind. You know, I read in a book this week that many, many explorers came to the New World to try to establish a, a, a colony in Mexico. And there were about, uh, there was a large, large number of people around 1519, they were already settled in Mexico. But a Spanish explorer named Cortez came. Nobody had been successful in planting a colony. But Cortez came, and he had 500 soldiers and so forth. But you know, when they got there and got on land and got off the ship, 
You know what he did? He burned every one of the ships up. And that was his way of saying, we ain't going back. Well, they knew they had to get in there and get with it then. You know, there's some ships you need to burn up. Well, if it don't work out, I'll go. This marriage don't work out, I'll, you know. No, you need to burn some ships. You need to burn some bridges. And you don't need to keep looking back, and you don't need to keep living in the past. God is the God of now. But you know, the, the other, other problem with that is you can't live in the now if you're worried about the future. You know, the only, the only moment you're sure of is the one you've got right now. That's the only one you're sure of. The only day you're sure of is the day you're living in this moment. Folks, listen. We, you know, we can prepare for the future, but we can't control the future. Paul, in, 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 in the New Testament, this guy said, well, I'm going to go to a certain city, and I'm going to stay a year, and I'm going to buy, and I'm going to sell, and then I'm going to come back in a year. You know what Paul said? Don't say that. You say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, I'll go. Because you don't know if you can stay a year. You don't even know if you'll make it to the city. If the Lord wills, I'll go. And he said, listen, you, you, can't, you, you can't control the future. You can prepare for it. But, you know, so many people don't live in the now. What, what if Elisha had worried about, well, well, this Elijah, he's kind of a fanatic, you know. I mean, come on. He, he, he called down fire from heaven on 400 prophets of Baal. And, and he destroyed uh, the Baal uh, worship. And, and I, Elijah, he was always working some kind of miracle. I mean, he, you know, in fact, he, 14 recorded miracles that Elijah worked. What if he'd have worked? Well, man, following Elijah, I don't know about that. I don't know if I'll be able to. I don't know if I can live up to that. I don't know if I'll have the strength. And what if he worried about the future? He didn't. He just burned his plow and his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, and he started following Elisha. I want to ask you something. What in the future has got you paralyzed? Are you worried about your finances? Are you worried about your job? Are you worried about your marriage? Are you worried about your children? You say, who's not? Are you concerned about your children? I mean, is there anything in the future that you just can't get beyond it? Hey, listen, you know, you know, when you're worried about the future, it's a form of fear. That's what it is. And you're thinking, well, God is not sufficient. God is not in control. God cannot take care of me. You know, I mean, somehow God's lacking. Wait a minute. No, no, no. If you're a child of God, your future is as secure as God himself. It doesn't mean there won't be trials. There doesn't mean there won't be tests. But you know this. That God said, Jesus said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. We, we don't have to live. We've got to live in the now. We can't constantly be worried about the future. Well, that's exactly what Elisha did. Man, he burned, he slew the oxen, burned the plow and the yokes, offered them as a sacrifice, and he started after Elijah. He didn't worry about the future and he never looked back. He lived in the now. But you know, as I studied the life of Elisha, there were three or four things that really jumped out at me. By the way, God used him in a mighty way. But I want to read you a verse of scripture before I leave this. 
in talking about not worrying about the future, nobody could have made it plainer than Jesus. All right? So if you want to see a good word, you'll see it on the screen, but I'm going to turn. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, now look, don't worry about the future because you've got enough on your plate today. You've got enough on your plate today, so don't, don't worry about the future. And so in Matthew 6, 25, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What am I going to eat and what am I going to drink or, or about your body, or your body what, what, we, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. He said, listen, don't spend all your time worrying about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear and, and, and all about that stuff. And said, uh, look at the birds of the air. They, they, they neither sow nor reap. They don't gather in the barns. But God takes care of them. God takes care of them. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever seen a skinny bird? I haven't seen any. I never will forget we were in Daytona Beach and we were going to be speaking there. We were walking down the beach and Emmett Hildred was with me. He said, man, Fred, the birds are fat. I said, they are. Just check the birds out in your yard. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't put in barns. But God takes care of the birds. And then listen to this. He said, look, uh, uh, he said, which of you by worrying can add one inch to how tall you are. You say, well, I'm going to worry, and I'm going to go two inches. And I'm going to worry, and I'm going to lose 40 pounds. It won't work. Which of you, by worrying, can add uh, an inch to his statue? Why do you worry about clothing? And this is especially for the lady. Oh, no, I didn't mean to say that. I did not mean to say that. I did not mean to say that. The worst thing I hate to hear my wife say, I don't have anything to wear. No, the problem is she ain't got no place to hang it up. <laughs> Lord, I ain't going home. I'm, I'm going to go eat with one of y'all. I promise you now, I am in deep trouble. But I couldn't resist it. I'm sorry, I just couldn't resist it. Now, I know none of you men have ever heard that before either. It says, uh, why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of the lilies of the field. And now if God so clothes the grass of the field which is today and tomorrow and are thrown into the oven, he is not, not much more able to clothe you or you of little faith. Do not worry. Do you hear what he said? Don't live in the future saying, what will I eat? What will I drink? And what will I wear? God knows you need all of those things. He said, you seek first the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what Elisha did. When he started following Elijah, he wasn't worried about what he was going to eat or what he was going to drink or what he was going to wear. All he knew was that God had given him the mantle of Elisha, Elijah, and he was going to follow him. And he was not going to look back over his shoulder at dancing meadows where he had grown up and the wealthy farm he left. And he wasn't going to look in the future wondering how God was going to take care of him because he knew that God was the God of the now and the God that God could be trusted. All right, I want you to notice in um, 1 Kings 19, Elijah's response, I mean, Elisha's response to God's call. And this is a picture of salvation too. 
But it's also a picture of the way Christians are supposed to follow Jesus. I want you to look at Elisha's response to God's call. All right, chapter 19 of 1 Kings, verses 15 and 16. Then the Lord said to, to, to Elijah, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. And you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nishi, Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mendelah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. All right, so Elijah does what God says. And then you look down in verse 19. And Elijah passed by and threw his mantle on him. And so what did, uh, what did he do? What did he do? The immediately it says he left his oxen and ran after Elisha. You know, um, he didn't say, well, I, I got to go pray about it. Now, I think we ought to pray about any major decision we make. I think we need to pray about any, anything that involves us and others. I'm, I'm not saying. But Elisha obviously knew what the mantle was. And so what he did, it says that he immediately uh, left, departed, and, 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 uh, and it says he followed after him and, and, uh, and, and just said to him, let me, let me go home and kiss my mother and father before I go. So his response to God's call was immediately he ran after Elisha. And then... He was a man of God who lived in the now, see. The mantle meant, hey, you're no longer a farmer. You're a prophet of God. So immediately he responded to God's call in his life by doing what God had called him to do. And it cost him, y'all. It cost him. Now let me tell you something. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when God convicts you of your sin and you come to Jesus and you, you receive him as your Lord and Savior. You know it costs you. You know that, don't you? Salvation is a free gift of God. Purchased and paid for by the Son of God. You could never earn your salvation any more than you could climb the stairs and get into heaven. Salvation was purchased and paid for by Jesus Christ. And it is a gift of God to those who repent of their sins and receive Christ as their Savior. But I'm telling you, it costs you when you become a Christian because you know what you do? You, you may leave some friends behind who don't want to go on with Jesus. Some friends that you used to live with and you used to w live in the world with and you used to be sinful with. But now that you've heard the call of God and Jesus has saved you and now you say, well, I mean, I, I still love those people, but they don't want to follow Jesus and, and, and I can't go where they go. And so sometimes, most of the time, when a person gets saved, it costs them some friends. Secondly, it costs you your lifestyle. Because maybe before, not maybe, before you came to Jesus, you lived a certain way, and your world revolved around you. It was I, me, and mine. And your world was kind of a small circle where self was the king. But now, you know, you've met Jesus and so uh, it's going to cost you your life. You no longer live for yourself. 
you no longer live for yourself, but for him who loved you and gave himself for you. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so you've got to realize that Elisha responded to God's call, but it cost him something. It cost him time with his family. It cost him his farm. It cost him relationships. And I'm telling you, it cost him his life because he was never the same again. All he did was walk in the shadow of Elijah. So I, I, I'm excited about Elisha's response to God's call. But then there's another thing that uh, I notice here. That when he did what God told him to do, now, now stay with me. He experienced the mighty power of God, the God of Elijah. I guarantee you, he got to know the God of Elijah. I mean, I know that farming was good. I know that, that the, you could plow those oxen, plant your crop, see it come up, and have the blessing of that, of seeing something done and the fruit of your labor. That's awesome. And I thank God for that. But I'm telling you something. Elisha, when he answered God's call, started following Elijah. You know what? He got to experience the God of Elijah. He got to know the God of Elijah. He got to experience the power of the God of Elijah. You know, in 1 Kings 21, you know, Elijah was, a, in many ways, he was a great man of God. Some people say that now they still look for Elijah to come. The Jews do at Passover. They still look for Elijah to come. Uh, he, of all the prophets, Elijah stood up there very high. He said it wasn't going to rain for three and a half years, and it didn't. Then he said it was going to rain, and it did. And, and, but Elijah was bold. And Ahab had uh, killed Naboth and taken his vineyard. And now Elisha was with uh, Elijah. And so Elijah said, we, we're going to go and we're going to confront Ahab. He was king. He was king. So we're going to go confront Ahab. And Elisha said, all right, we'll go. I'm going to follow you, Elijah. And so they went. And confronted Ahab in verse 17 of 1 Kings 21. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. This is he who, in the vineyard of Naboth where he has gone down to take possession. You shall speak to him. Listen what God told him to tell him. Thus saith the Lord. Have you murdered? And he did. He had Naboth murdered. Have you murdered and taken possession? So you shall speak to him saying, Boy, this is strong. Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of of the Lord. And behold, I will bring calamity on you, and I will take away your posterity and cut off from Ahab every male in Israel and every bond and tree. And then he said, By the way, you tell your wife, Jezebel. See, that was the only person Elijah had ever been scared of. After he called down fire from heaven and destroyed 450 of the prophets of Baal, won a great victory, and Israel said, The Lord is God, the Lord is God. The next day, Jezebel threatened him, and he ran into the desert. 
and just ran him, wore himself out. And God sent an angel to fix him a meal. And it's all in these chapters here. And God said to Abraham, said to Elijah, go get in the cave. And then God spoke to him. There was a, there was a, a great wind and God didn't speak to him. And there was an earthquake and God didn't speak to him. But then there was a still small voice and God spoke to him and said, now Elijah, I want you to go appoint so-and-so as king and Elisha as prophet. But see, Elijah had run from Jezebel. How can a man stand down 450 prophets of Baal and call down the fire of God from heaven and run from one woman? I can't figure that out. <laughs> Maybe you can. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. But anyway, but that's what happened. But now he goes and confronts Ahab and said, it's over for you. And it's over for Jezebel. The same dogs that licked Naboth's blood are going to lick yours and going to lick. And it happened exactly the way uh, Elijah said it would. So Elisha, boy, he said, wow. He saw this happen. He saw the power of God. But then they go on a little further. Now, Elisha's following Elijah. He's right behind him. And uh, he answered God's call, and he was following him. And he began to exceed the power of the God of Elijah. And, and I guarantee you, Elisha's faith began to grow and say, man, what an awesome God Jehovah is. What an awesome God the God of Elijah is. Then over in Second Kings chapter 1, guess what he sees Elijah do? He sees him call down fire from heaven. Again, he called down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel. But then in 2 Kings chapter uh, 1, listen to what happens. It says here in verse 1, and this is 2 Kings chapter 1, verse uh, 1. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now, Isaiah, this was king, listen to this. He fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So evidently, Isaiah, the king, was on the second floor, and obviously he stepped on some stuff that wouldn't support him, and he fell, and he was greatly injured. Okay. So he says, well, I've got to find out whether I'm going to die or not. Now look what he does. This is the king of Israel. Uh, so he sent messengers and said to them, go to inquire of Baal, Zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. He told them, his men, go to this foreign god and go to his idol and ask him if I'm going to live or die. Well, obviously Elijah got wind of it. So look what he does in, this, in, in, uh, uh, in verse 3. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is there no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzeb, the God of Ekron? Elijah said, What are y'all doing, man? I mean, as, as I, I told you to go to this false God, and to, this false, is there not a God in Israel? What are you doing that for? And, and he goes on and says, is, is it in verse 3, is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going to inquire? Navor, 
Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed which you have gone up, and you shall surely die. Elijah said, you go back and tell him that he's going to die. Well, that wasn't too good a message to go tell the king. And they went and told him, and he said, what did this guy look like that told you that? Hey, he'd heard of Elijah, y'all. And you know what they told him? They said, uh, I don't know what he means, but it didn't sound too good. Then he said to him, in verse 7, What kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you these words? They answered him, A hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. I guess he had bushy hair and a beard. That's all I can figure. But immediately, you know what? Uh, as I knew it, was, it knew it was Elijah. Look at what he said. And the answer him in verse 8, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he, he, and he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. I know who that is. And so he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send 50 men. And they're going to go down there and they're going to bring Elijah back here. And I'm going to get him straightened out because I am not going to die. That's what he was saying. So look what he does. Then the, in verse 9, then the king sent to him a captain of, of 50 with 50 men. They went up to him, and there was Elijah sitting on the top of a hill, and they spoke to him, Man of God, the king has said, Come down. And Elijah said to the captain of the fifty, If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed his fifty. He burned them up. They were dead. Can you imagine what Elisha thought? said, Lord, have mercy. Whew. This thing of following Elijah, it's never boring. <laughs> I mean, God, and fire just came down. Well, you know, the king wasn't too smart. So he sends 50 more, y'all. I mean, how long is it going to take for him to get the message? Look at verse 11. Then he sent another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, Man of God, thus saith the king, Come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to them, If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed the 50 men. That's two for two. Well, guess what? Evidently, it not only affected his body when he fell from the second floor, it affected his mind because he's sending another crowd back. And wouldn't you like to be the captain of the 50 that was going back? Wouldn't you say, oh boy, here we go. It's going to be another roast over here. But you know, this third captain, he went to Elijah and said, please have mercy on me. I know what happened to the other 50, but, but don't, don't, don't. And, and so Elijah spared him. But listen, I, I, I told you that just simply say this. Elisha responded to the call of God. He burned his bridges. He didn't look back. He didn't worry about the future. He just followed God one day at a time. And he got to see the power of the God of Elijah. He got to see that God was an awesome God. And that God was not, was not dead and not, uh, uh, not living. Uh, he was not in uh, where he couldn't work and everything. That God was a God of Elijah. All right, so here's the next thing I see. Okay, so he saw God's power. But then I want you to see this. And this is, I want to say to you, 
you and I, we, 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 need to, uh, we need to get in the Word of God and we need to find out about the power of God. We need to find out. what I'm afraid today that Christians settled for too less and the church settles for too less when God wants to manifest His power. I mean, we need to get in the Word of God and, and see what Jesus did when He was on earth and see what the disciples did after Pentecost. Hey, you know, we need to know the God of Elijah. We need to know Him. We need to know His awesome power. And we can know Him better than Elisha could because Jesus came and God manifested in the flesh. And Jesus manifested His power over the devil and over every demon. He manifested His power over sickness. He manifested His power over death. And we say, my heavens, look at Jesus. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. Let me tell you something. Jesus hadn't changed, y'all. He hasn't changed. And I'm tired of people asking where the God of Elijah is. I'll tell you where he is. He's still on the throne, and he came to this earth in Jesus Christ. And he has the power, and all power in heaven and on earth. And you look at people and say, well, they're too hard for God. They're not too hard for God. They may be too hard for our faith, but they're not too hard for God. Well, here's the next thing. Elijah had a passion to pursue God at any cost. Elisha did. You know, three times Elijah tried to get him to stay behind. And Elisha wouldn't do it. Look at chapter 2. Well, this is a great picture now of a man that was discerned to pursue God with all his heart. Man, I read this and I say, thank God, Elisha. Keep going. Keep going. All right, we, we start in... Um, in verse 2, the time came, stay with me, that God was fixing to send a chariot from heaven and take up Elijah into heaven in a whirlwind. He was going to go up. He, he didn't die a physical death. He did not. He went up uh, the fire of God in a chariot. And the time came that that was going to happen. All right? Now, I want you to look here. And it came to pass... When the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha to, from Gilgal. So it was time for Elijah to go. And boy, Elisha was going to be the prophet then. Elijah was gone. Then Elijah said to Elisha, now listen to what he said to him. Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel, which means the house of God. But listen to what Elisha said. As the Lord lives... And as your soul will, lives, I will not leave you. You're not going up to Bethel without me. I'm going with you, okay? Well, I said, well, that way to go, Elisha. Hang in there, man. Then we go to verse 4. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please. They got up to Bethel. Uh, no, when they, uh, let me go back to verse 3. Now, when they got to Bethel, it says the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master today? Do you know God's going to send the chariots from heaven and going to take Elisha away? He said, Yeah, I know that, but just keep quiet about it. Don't be talking about it. All right, verse 4. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he came to Jericho. Twice, Elijah said, stay behind. Elisha said, oh, no, no, no. Uh -uh. Where you go, I'm going. 
And so he, he just went ahead and went with him. Well, he gets down uh, for a third time. Now the sons of the prophets, in verse 5, who were at Jericho, came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? So he answered, Yeah, I know that, but just keep quiet about it. Then Elijah said to him, This is the third test. Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, Boy, I love Elisha. Woo! As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two went on. They went on. Okay. So they go down and get to the Jordan. Now, the 50 prophets were over here, and they watched Elisha go with Elijah to the Jordan. Okay. And, and it says in verse 7, The 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, sign of power, took his mantle, struck the Jordan River, and it was divided this way, and that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Once again, Elisha had got to see the power of God of Elijah. Elisha just rolled up his mantle, hit the water, Jordan River opened, they walked through on dry ground, and they got to the other side. Okay, this is where it gets good. And when they had crossed over, listen to this now. You remember, three times Elijah said, stay behind. Three times Elisha said, no. I'm going to pursue God, and I'm going to pursue God with all my heart, and nothing's going to stop me from pursuing God. You're going to be glad he did, because look what happens. And in verse 9, and when they had crossed over, I love this. Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken from you? Elijah looks at Elisha, and Elisha's been with him now for a number of years. And he said, Elisha, the chariot's fixing to come, and I'm fixing to go up. He said, but what can I do for you before I go? Man, <laughs> boy, Elisha had learned his lesson. You know what he said? I love it. He said, uh, before I'm taken from you, Elisha said, please let me have a double portion of your spirit upon me. I want twice the power you've had. You know what Elijah said? That's a hard request. So he said, you've asked a hard thing. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit to be on me. He said, that's a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me, when I'm taken from you, it shall be so. But if not, it shall not be so. He said, I'm going to tell you something. You've asked for God to give you a double portion of my spirit. If God lets you see me go up in the chariot, God's going to do it. If you don't, he's not going to do it. Well, look down in verse 11. Then it happened as they continued that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Woo! Boy, I'd love to see that, wouldn't you? Somebody needs to make a movie of that. Man, a lie. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. He took off his took hold of his clothes and tore them into two pieces. But he took up the mantle 
of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Now, here's the last thing I want you to see. How he responded to God's call. He didn't live in the past. He wasn't worried about the future. He just went after Elijah. He got to know the power of the God of Elijah as he lived with him and saw how God's power was on Elijah. And then he, he was determined to pursue God with his whole heart. Three times Elijah said, stay back. He said, I will not, I will not, I will not. I'm going after you and I'm going after God. What a heart. My soul. We need that same passion that we're going to pursue God. That we're going to pursue God. That we're going to pursue him with our whole heart. And we're not going to let the world, the flesh, and the devil keep us from pursuing God. The world says, well, turn back. The world says, don't be so excited about Jesus. The world says, be quiet. The world says, listen, don't, don't go all the way with God. And we say, as the Lord lives, I will go on with God. And I pray to God, God will put that spirit in you. And you'll say, listen, I'm not going to stop short of what God has for me. And I pray this church won't stop short of what God has for us. Listen, God says, we need to go on until we see the glory of God in our midst. Praise God. The last thing is Elijah had a desire. Elijah had a desire for more of God's power. He saw Elijah's power, but he said, I'm not satisfied I want, I want twice the power you got. <laughs> you say, that was, no, it wasn't selfish. He stayed in trouble most of the time because he got it. Oh, no. But you see, he had a, a, a burning desire, a burning desire to see more of the power of God and to see the God of Elijah glorified. Well, just to show you this, and then it says, he took the mantle in verse 13. Verse 14, uh, and, and, and he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back to Jordan, okay, and he said, all right, I saw what happened when Elijah did it, and I'm fixing to do it. And so he struck the water with the mantle of Elijah, which was now his mantle, and he asked the question, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, it divided in the way, and Elisha crossed over. God already said, okay, you got my power. And he said, where's the God of Elijah? And he threw the mantle of Elijah down, which was now his mantle. And God opened the Jordan River, and he went through. And the sons of the prophets on the, all the other side all fell at his feet and said, oh, the God of Elijah has given you his spirit. You know, I didn't know this, but... Uh, Elijah performed 14 recorded miracles. Now, Elisha asked for a double portion of God's Spirit. Guess how many miracles he performed? 28. 28 recorded miracles that Elisha accomplished. God gave him exactly what he asked for. You know, we can learn a lot from men of God in the past. The first thing I hear God saying is this, when I call you, when I call you to be saved, when I call you to follow me, you just trust me. You make a clean break with your past, and you trust me with your future, and you just follow me. You just follow me. Boy, I'm telling you, 
it'll cost you. It'll cost you. It cost Elijah living in dancing meadows, <laughs> being with his family, having a prosperous, wealthy farm. But oh, man, what he got in exchange. Somebody says, well, I gave up. What I gave up when I became a Christian, a Greek word for that is baloney. It's not what you gave up. It's what you got when you followed Jesus. Hallelujah. You gave up sin. You gave up death. You gave up darkness. And praise God, you got life and you got forgiveness and you got hope and you got a future. Glory to God. Not what you gave up. It's who you got. And that's Jesus. And you know, uh, if you just do what God tells you, you'll see God's power. You'll get to see the God of Elijah at work. I'm telling you, he'll work in your children. He'll work in your marriage. I mean, he, he's an awesome God. Don't miss out knowing the God of Elijah and just seeing his power in your life. And, and don't let anything stop you from pursuing him. Somebody says, well, just stay here now. Just no, Elisha said, no, I'm not staying here. Just, no, let's don't, don't let anything stop us from pursuing him. In the word of God, in prayer, in seeking God, let's just go. And then say, God, I'm not satisfied with where I am. I'm not interested in any power for my sake. But I got, I, I, I want to see more of your power. Listen, my burden is this. This is my burden. It is my burden that you and I will not be satisfied with where we are spiritually. We can't be satisfied. We must long to see God in all of his glory. And we must long for God to be much more personal and intimate with us. And we must long for God to be, be more real to us. We must long to see God at work in the lives of people around us. Why should we settle for less? Why should we settle for less? Elijah said, give me a double portion of your spirit. And man, we ought to say, God, I long to see you do twice as much in my life and in the lives of others that you're doing. Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. I know this. I can't change anybody. You can't change anybody. People will never change. Marriages will never be saved. Children will never be recovered unless it's done by the power of the living God. Jesus is the only one that can do it. Don't you ever start trusting in this church. Don't you ever start trusting in a preacher. Let me tell you something. You say, God, if you don't do it, it won't get done. And when God does it, God will get all the glory. Don't settle for less than what God has for us.